This is the Skin Science Podcast. I'm Dr. Thomas Hitchcock, and here we'll investigate everything skin science and dissect it from a scientific perspective, analyze it from a medical perspective, critique it from a consumer perspective, and give insight from an industry perspective. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dr. Thomas Hitchcock, and with me in the studio once again is Angela Wilson-McDonald. How are you, Angela? I'm great. How are you doing on this hot day in Dallas, Texas? This heat wave just never seems to end. Where's the fall? You should be used to this. You're from Texas. I know, I know. You never get used to it. Ah, I can't. I've been here three years. I still can't get used to it. That's what air conditions for. That is what AC is for. All right. And we also have Dr. Brian Jones again with us in the studio. How are you doing, Brian? Doing well. Thank you. Okay. You like the heat? Uh, more than the cold. Really? Okay. Yeah, cold always makes it hurt. You know, if you can just wear a glass clothes if it's hot. So we're going to the air conditioning. Or well, the AC. You can only take so many pieces well, of clothes true. off. <laughs> when, when you're really hot, you just kind of Brian lay down. Brian lives by different standards. Lay down and maybe that's what it is. I guess cry. I'm very careful about what I say here. So. <laughs> but anyway... Um, so thank you for joining us today. And as I'm wanting to start doing, I'm going to introduce it with uh, introduce the podcast with one of my uh, new puzzles here. And this one is called The Menace from Deadwood Crafts, uh, uh, Woodcrafts, or Deadwood Crafts, yes. And so this one is actually uh, really, it looks really simplistic. And it actually is one of the more simple puzzles, but it's actually deceptful uh, as far as you have, you have to open the box and find the secret compartment. And I'll just do the first step because it's really kind of cool for those of you who are not familiar with puzzles. And so there's a little button there that you can't get to. Um, and so you have to find a tool. And so you're like searching and you think that this drawer uh, is the only thing that moves. But if you actually press on it in a different spot, it actually comes up. There's actually a little tool there that's held there by the magnet. And you think it's part of the drawer, but it's not. And you can push that down the button and open it up. And so anyway... Um, this is one of uh, the more simple ones, but also part of uh, the uh, simplicity is the, the, the joy because you actually find these little simple uh, you know, ways to open it. And uh, then when you do your next puzzle, you're now looking for you know, similar mechanisms. Anyway, it's a menace, uh, Deadwood Crafts, something to look at if you like puzzles. So um, the, col- or the collagen, the, uh, the topic for today uh, is... One of the ones that we talked about uh, when we have our meeting, our, our weekly meetings on the podcast, and it's one that Angela seemed to really uh, like a lot. And so we're going to kind of let Angela run the show today. Yes. Uh, and Finally. She'll... <laughs> keys to the kitchen. Oh, I wouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> but uh, we're going to let her kind of be the MC here. And we basically, the, the kind of topic is uh, Mythbusters, the Skin Science Edition. And what we want to do is take some uh, kind of, I don't want to say gimmicks, but maybe some trends. Maybe, maybe not a gimmick. Maybe, That's maybe what we're not a gimmick. Discuss some but of some, these may be very legitimate. All right. So some trends that we see, especially in the consumer base and marketing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, whether or not these trends that we're seeing in skin and dermatology uh, and health and skin health uh, are actually legitimate, or are they uh, full of. You know what? Kaka. Or somewhere in between. Or somewhere in between. Somewhere, somewhere between. between kaka and legitimate. Yeah, there you go. All right. So, uh, Angela, take it away. Well, and what we tried to do here is, is I think we all know, we walk through the stores and we see all kinds of products that make 
certain claims. And, you know, quite honestly, for some of us who are in the industry, it's, it's a bit baffling. Um, but yet you've got friends that call you this. I'm so excited. I just bought this. And you don't want to, you know, let them down by saying, well, you know, this is what Thomas typically does to me. Well, um, and so, you know, today we thought we'd just take a few of those items and just kind of break it down and, and discuss, is there any science to um, the legitimacy of these particular devices or um, not even necessarily devices? So let's get started because I think this is one that I've seen quite a bit of here recently and for you know anybody on Instagram I feel like it comes up all the time it are rollers in particular Thomas and Brian rollers that are made of jade maybe they're made of rose quartz they generally are just handheld they're smooth they might be a little bit soothing especially if you put them in the refrigerator you run them over the skin and they make a lot of claims they claim to reduce pore size they claim to improve skin tone they reduce claim to reduce wrinkles and fine lines. They claim to improve sagging skin. They say they can induce cellular turnover, uh, remove dark circles, and you're going to love this. Here we go again, Thomas. Improve skin immunity. Mm. So we're back to the microbiome. So is there anything about um, a jade roller or a rose quartz roller? Maybe it's the stone itself. Maybe it's the action of, of pressure or a roller over the skin that you believe scientifically can create these types of changes in the skin. Your Thomas, first? you want yeah. to take the Your first stab? Sure, I would love to. Um, and so the first thing I'll say is that you describe me like I described Debbie Downer from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, all the uh, kids are starving in Africa, so, <laughs> um, so these rollers where they make them, you know. So, but anyway, uh, when, uh, when, we, when we look at these rollers, and there's not just the jade and the quartz, and they're not just rollers. They also have these tools that are just solid pieces of ceramic or metal or something. They have the globes that you fill with water and you put them in a refrigerator. And a lot of them are meant to do very similar things, which is... Uh, mechanically s massage the face um, prior to you know either your skincare routine in the morning or in the evening and uh, you know there are all those claims that they make you know it, it doesn't surprise me that these consumer brands would make a lot of these claims to try to get people to sell theirs because they're basically commodities that a lot of these there are a lot a lot of them are made like overseas in large quantities and sold to the same different companies the same mm -hmm. basic devices and so it's their way of basically trying to uh, hang their hat on something that the other groups can't. But when all of them kind of do that, I mean, what's the point? Because you can't follow, really realistically, it's not going to do all that laundry list of things. Um, however, that being said, um, there is something to some of what these things can do for you. Maybe not that laundry list, but you know, when you wake up in the morning, you know, there's a few things that people may notice. And I mean, I don't know what you notice, but I tend to always notice that I am a little bit more, I have a little bit more Puffy? puffiness or edema mm -hmm. than I did when I went to bed, um, especially if I ate salty foods or whatever. And so if you understand what makes you puffy, um, then you can start to think about, okay, well, do these tools have some utility to reduce puffiness? And it's not necessarily by any proprietary blend or 
um, uh, stone characteristic yeah, or property like, that. like a okay. crystal that Literal has like magic powers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, although some of them have claimed, like there is uh, there is a movement for crystals and stuff like yeah, that. But there's yeah, um, and, of crystals. and I don't want to like poo poo people's fantasies and stuff like that. But you know, um, fantasies <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but uh, you, you know, already did by calling them fantasies. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, so. Uh, but the thing is, there. You know, one of the one of the things that is done when you're uh, massaging is we have these we have a whole network of vessels um, in our bodies called lymphatics. Mm -hmm. So the lymphatic system, and uh, it's interesting because people may have heard of that, but they may not understand like the lymph nodes and everything. The lymphatic system is is a pretty um, uh, interesting. It, it, a lot of them follow our our circulatory vessels mm -hmm. as well. And so lymphatics are, so our, our blood vessels are actually are not perfect. They do leak and they, some of the stuff that leaks out into what we call the interstitial space of the tissues. Uh, so basically we, we accumulate some of the blood plasma liquid in our tissues. And that leads us to when we get a lot in there, we call it edema when it's a lot of liquid in there. If you block a lymphatic vessel that can't drain away that liquid, you uh, have probably heard of something called elephantiasis. Mm -hmm. Is it elephantiasis or elephantitis? I think it's elephantitis. Uh, titus, okay. yes. Yeah. Um, I think one's the condition or whatever. But anyway, uh, you know, I I I, I just want to make sure that I don't say something. Friends with scientists. <laughs> yeah, but uh, discussions um, you get into. Regardless, <laughs> it's because those people, like for instance, when a woman has breast cancer, as you're, you're as I'm aware. aware if they remove lymph nodes, a lot of them have to wear compression garments because um, lymph nodes are part of the lymphatic system, and if you remove the ability to remove that liquid. Uh, they can start to swell mm -hmm. uh, and get elephantitis. I don't have that. And so, uh, or swelling record. edema, they'll call it edema. <laughs> I guess elephantitis wouldn't be when you just have simple edema. But yeah, but just swelling in Swelling, yeah. yeah. And so, um, uh, you know, there's some more um, exotic forms of this that are caused by um, parasites like schistom schistosome, I believe they're called. We won't get into, but there's some interesting places where you can have this happen. Um, regardless, and you can use your imagination for that. But regardless, by massaging the tissue, it's well known that you can actually relieve edema because you're actually pushing liquid into the lymphatics and pushing that liquid away from the tissue and putting it back into the circulation. Mm, because okay. basically, the lymphatics, like, it's like a reverse, like with Stranger Things, you have the upside down. The lymphatics are like the upside down of the blood vessels where mm -hmm. you put all the liquid back in there and eventually will go back into uh, a main vessel that will go back into the, to the blood. And so <clears throat> the lymphatic system is very important. It even has like little valves like the vein, the vasculature, mm -hmm. the veins do. Um, and so by using those rollers and pushing uh, your skin in certain directions, you're actually going to push uh, liquid back into the lymphatics. And so it can cause depuffing. Um, and that is probably one of the ways in which it, it happens is, is through that. And we know massage can do that, mechanical stimulation massage. <clears throat> the other thing that um, I... shallow, let's be clear, very shallow massage because the lymphatic system is just... No, the lymphatic system is, is it, everywhere. It can yeah. be deep mm -hmm. as opposed to... Okay. Because you can have liquid... The lymphatic massages that I've had as in terms of relieving swell, swelling from surgeries mm -hmm. um, is, I mean, they're just touching you very lightly. Well, you just they're had just, surgery. Well, no, but they're, what they're saying is the lymphatic system is very shallow. So they're trying to move oh. that fluid towards those valves, right? So that the yeah, body will right. excrete them, but, again, um, but they're working very shallow. Yeah. Well, it doesn't secrete them. It goes back into the blood. Um, but the, 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 um, 
there's lymphatics throughout your whole body because you okay. can ac- you can accumulate liquids throughout your whole body through all depths. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so in my case, it was shallow, but it may, doesn't necessarily have to be shallow. So if somebody were using one of those rollers to that point right there, Thomas, um, and that's what they woke up and they were puffy, who knows, you know, what they were doing the night before. Maybe they just had a, a, a nice sushi meal the night before, and they wake up and they look really puffy, and they've got to be on camera because they're doing this incredibly popular does sushi do that to and you? exciting. Soy sauce. <laughs> I, I, yeah, soy sauce. Oh, oh, soy okay. sauce does. Um, I, what I, I would say is, experience with yeah. that. All right, sorry would you that. go in a, a certain, apply a certain level of pressure, or would you move in a certain direction to be able to influence that? Uh, I mean, yeah, there are probably ways. I'm not. I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm an expert in saying which direction is going to be best, and I'm not sure that. Um, that any one direction is going to be, uh, you know, necessary for it to be useful. Meaning I'm sure that as long as you're, you know, going in all directions, you're probably going to applying that pressure, the the reverse pressure. uh, Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that you can find whatever just suits your face and what feels comfortable because part of what makes these things at all useful is that you enjoy doing it. Um, because when you, when it's soothing, like if it's cold and, and soothing and stuff, uh, it raises your, you know, your mood, it elevates your mood. And so a lot of times, you know, I hear people say, you know, skincare is self-care, something along that nature. And I, part of it I do agree with is that if you do something that may not really have a lot of scientific oomph behind it, meaning it's not going to really, it's just something that makes you feel good about yourself. That's what like air aromatherapy and such, you know, crystals or crystals, even something it's, there's placebo involved in a lot of the things that people enjoy, like puzzles, you know, for instance, you know, um, for some people, puzzles might be frustrating and raise their, you know, blood pressure, where for me, it's intriguing, and it actually calms me to be able to focus on something and clear my mind of other things. So this is one of the reasons why I think some of these gimmicks are actually not gimmicks in the sense that People enjoy there's themselves. There's not value. There's not a gimmick in the sense that there's value there's to it. There's value to it, yeah. But not necessarily the value that they're claiming. That's right. Okay. Well, it depends on what you think about it. Sort of how long that benefit's going to last. Now, if you're sure. expecting it to last for 10 minutes, then perfectly fine. Yes. If you're wanting it to last hours or a lifetime, <laughs> then you're going to be really disappointed. Right. Yeah. And, and I do think you also have to consider, you know, for instance, if you had a really a lot of salt the night before, yeah, by doing that, you can you know, depuff slightly, but you still have a lot of salt in your body and you're still going to collect fluid. So really drinking a big glass of water is going to be better better at helping Mm. you to get rid of that. Okay. And so um, that's where, you know, again, like anything is just understanding your own body, the physiology of your own body, talking to your physician or going to school. Um, You're going to learn a little bit about what these things can actually, the limits of what these things actually do uh, and what they don't do. Um, one of the things that I particularly think they could be useful for is that um, I've had this kind of, uh, be, I don't know if be in my bonnet's the right phrase, but I've had this kind of thought for the, la- for the longest time, which is, you know, when you hear about putting like under eye serums on, mm-hmm. you hear a lot of people say you should use your ring finger mm-hmm. because that's the weakest finger. And you should just tap it into the skin. Right. I'm, and I'm going to use my ASMR voice. And you are talking you really softly when you the say skin. that. Yeah. Um, no, but it, it really, I, that's how I feel when I see them. I'm like, why? Why, why do I got to tap it into the skin? You don't want to tug at the skin. You don't see, wanna, it's very why? delicate is, it's is what they tell you. Okay, yes, well, that's it's fragile. But that's where I'm going to push back because the thing is, it might be the thinnest skin of the face, but um, where do we find that 
we should be, and, and the reason why this kind of struck a chord was, I remember years ago when I heard this anecdote about um, a study that was done with women who wore brassieres mm -hmm. and who didn't wear brassieres and found that the women who wore brassieres actually ended up with more sag to their breast. The French study. The, the, the French study. French study. Yeah, and so now I've since tried to like follow up and actually find that study and found out it was only in the news that it was... It was never like published on, so I don't know what that means. Whether it was, you know, BS I or not. I know what that means. <laughs> you Re do know what that regardless, means. Regardless, I mean, maybe he passed away before it was. I, think we I don't just know. Just moved from skin science <laughs> to something else. All this. Regardless, the reason I bring it up is not because it's factual necessarily, um, but it was what got me triggered to say, why would that be the case? And of course, the whole premise is that. Um, the body, in its uh, uh, desire to maintain what we call homeostasis, um, if it doesn't have a need for strength or structural strength, it's not going to provide structural strength. So if you, if you have something that's artificially holding something in place, then the body's going to say, I don't need to keep on putting something to hold it in place because it's already kind of there. Wow. Now, that being said... You've given me a lot to think about, Thomas. I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, going to have to go home and think about this. <laughs> so, regardless, you know, that got me thinking about this, which is, you know, maybe the reason why people have such delicate skin around um, their eyes as they age is because they've been padding it. And, you know, where everywhere else they're doing these rollers and stuff, and they're avoiding this area. So maybe um, there's something to, uh, you know putting a little bit of mechanical stress. And that's when I went into, you know, looking into the scientific literature and actually found that I'm not that far off and that there is indeed um, uh, evidence and quite a, a, quite a large amount of evidence that shows that mechanical stress on the fibroblasts of the skin actually is required to maintain the youthful, um, uh, not the phenotype, the youthful... Um, What's the word for well, continued expression of actually production of collagen? Which Not just that, but also the shape of the fibroblasts, like uh, the morphology. Yeah. So the morphology. So morphology is basically the shape. Shape of a cell is the morphology, the way it looks, uh, the color, the shape, all that stuff. And so if you look at a fibroblast under a microscope, it looks a little sp like a spindly, like uh, those little sharp like projections. Yeah, spindle. Is yeah, it? spindle, spindly. Yeah, little spindles. I guess yeah. multiple spindles, spindly. <laughs> Oh boy! Uh, we but, go. Uh, <laughs> we but, went from spindly uh, to spindle. To spindle I don't know. There's multiple spindles, or you know. Uh, but uh, when you look at a fibroblast that's in an aged cell that uh, is has a lot of laxity, it has. It's not. It's actually a circular in shape, and that's because part of the reason it's spindly is because it actually attaches to things, mm -hmm. and it, it like kind of holds on to like it's holding on to different ropes. Um, and so even in a Petri dish, it'll adhere to the Petri dish and have that spindly look when it's, when it's younger until it becomes senescent and all that stuff. And so it's because of its ability to adhere to things uh, that it has that shape. And so what we know is that uh, there's studies that show that if you take, uh, you know, engineered tissues and you actually apply pressure, it helps to maintain that young morphology or young shape and the amount of deposition of collagen that it pr continues to uh, produce. If you don't give it that mechanical stretch or stress, it actually stops doing that. And so part of my uh, thought process is we know that in certain places of our skin, we lose fat underneath of it. 
and we lose volume, right? Mm -hmm. And so maybe some of that is the volume loss contributes to some of that laxity because it's this feedback loop. And of course, this is all hypothetic hy hypothesis at this point. But you lose that feedback loop, and then you know the 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 you lose the shape or you lose the ability to produce collagen, which contributes to more laxity. And so my thought is, uh, when I put uh, things on under my eyes, I actually put it on just like that, where you actually don't A pat it. You actually put pressure because. Now, when you look at the literature, the amount of pressure required is very small, meaning um, not saying that you can't put more pressure. It's just there's no reason to put, I think it's one, uh, one Pascal. Millipascal or Pascal? Might be one Pascal, but um, I need to go back and look because it could okay. be millipascal. But I, I'm not even sure what level so of Pascal is a, is pressure a, that is. Yeah, it's very light. Okay. Yeah. And so, so it doesn't take a lot, so, but just give it a, 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 a movement to right. it as and opposed to just gently it tapping so it in. Not only that, when you put serums on, they're typically slippery. You're not like using tacky serums yeah. usually. So when you're putting them on, you have already a lubrication, so you're providing not only lymphatic, lymphatic drainage like we just talked about under the eye where you're the puffiest, so you can, by, by putting that motion under your eyes with, a, with this lubrication from your serum, you're going to drive it in better because you're putting pressure, pressure on it. You're going to get lymphatic drainage. Mm -hmm. And you, drainage. Get, you get a slight amount of mechanical stress, which could, in theory, induce uh, more strength to that tissue. Okay. And so, uh, and we do know when you add more stress to certain tissues, like for instance, when somebody um, loses a leg and they put on their prosthetic, uh, uh, initially, they get a lot of sores and tenderness in that area because of the added pressure, but their skin acclimates to that. The same would happen if you continue to put pressure in other areas. It actually is going to strengthen that area, become thicker. And isn't that what we want under the eyes? You know, we want less crepiness, more, you know, strength, more... To a certain extent, yeah. To a certain, certain yeah, you don't extent, want calluses yeah. on your eyes. Sagging, yes. But you're not going to, like, lift weights with your eye bags. You know, you're, you're, you're not going to get calluses. Right. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of the point okay. that I wanted to make there with that. So a little mechanical stress and potentially some lymphatic drainage, which mm -hmm. would reduce swelling or edema. So mm -hmm. that's what Thomas has to say, Brian. What would you add to the conversation? Well, I know that took like 20 minutes, so I'll cut it down to about 20 seconds. Uh, so, that's uh, why we love them. <laughs> rude. So the answer is yes, I would agree. Again, we mentioned before, sort of, there may be temporary benefits. Now, the discussion regarding you know the tension on, on tissues, um, I think you're right. You've seen that in, in vitro. Uh, and But again, I think it's minor, uh, more towards um, muscle cells, um, myocytes. But uh, um, it could also be true for fibroblasts and getting the production of collagen. Um, I do know that they've done studies with um, these little devices that, you know, essentially supposedly like chewing gum or individuals chewing gum is supposed to make you look younger because it's building, you know, you're constantly moving your jaw and, and mm -hmm. the, in your cheek and everything like that. And uh, they haven't really shown much benefit as far as anti-aging benefits. They may improve some of the muscle tone, um, but really as towards skin benefits, they haven't really shown that benefit. I know that that's studies that were done you know, in the 80s and 90s on that and didn't essentially pan out. And that's why we're not, you know, having devices that were, you know, chewing gum or uh, moving around. Yeah, you put your mouth and go like that. Yeah. So yeah, muscle like yeah. tone doesn't, in the face, doesn't necessarily translate to uh, visually looking different on the skin from the skin no, surface. No, it would. I think what we're, I think more of what happened is that as we age, we can't develop as much muscle. Even if we do more of those exercises, just like we can't, you know, which yeah. the, 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 the amount of certain tissues changes. 
in different areas of our face. And so just, uh, just like we talked about with collagen deposition in another podcast weeks, weeks and weeks ago, um, <laughs> you know, I think that, uh, you know, with the, with, uh, the body, as we age, we can't produce as much as everything, mm -hmm. um, other than inflammation <laughs> and inflammatory stuff. But, uh, it's, I think that's part of it, uh, as well as the fact that, you know, the skin is connected to the muscle much more tightly when we're young. And we, that connection is, you can think of it kind of, um, uh, it, like a string that's connecting the, the bone to the muscle to the muscle to the skin and the bone to the skin. And those strings stretch out over time. And so it affecting the underneath it. doesn't necessarily affect the, not the, as much the, the top right. layer when, as, as you grow older, when you're younger. Yes. Right. Like, so if I, if I, if I have a rope and, um, you know, uh, if you've ever been belaying like rock climbing, have you ever been belaying or rock climbing? I didn't uh, even, I've never even heard that okay, word. Okay, <laughs> so when you can go to these gyms and actually yeah. you have, yeah, you, you climb that. a rock. Yeah, but I didn't know and the you, of it. And so belaying is when they have a, you have a rope tied to you. Okay. And there's a person on the back that's anchored down and they have to like slack, give you slack when you're, when you're coming down. Okay. Or when you're going up, they have to pick up the slack. And so um, it's like if you allow too much slack between you and them, if they fall, they're going to fall a big distance and you could pick you up off the ground and then it could be a catastrophe. So you're, you're not supposed to allow any slack so if they fall, they can't get momentum and they'll just dangle there. And so it's like uh, if, I, if, he was, if you were climbing, the more you climb, if I don't take up the slack fast enough, it's going to accumulate more and more slack so where by the time you fall, it's going to take me too long to get to, mm -hmm. to that point. Where if I, uh, like when I'm younger, I, have a, I don't have much slack, it's very taut. Where when I'm older, I have too much slack there. So that's the idea is that there's a lot of slack in between, you know, the supporting so, structures. So if you take up some of the slack, you're not taking up enough to make a difference. Make right. a difference exactly. visually. Yeah. You might volumize a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Um, but you wouldn't. So <clears throat> reduce puffiness, um, maybe add a little bit of a stress to the skin. What about blood flow? Or, uh, yeah. I mean, anything I, I, in terms uh, of we talked about lymphatic drainage, but again, what about blood very flow? temporary benefit. Very temporary. Yeah. Okay. Same with because uh, um, people with the uh, gold, the ice cubes or the cold globes where you put in the refrigerator mm -hmm. or spoons. I've seen people use spoons to do this. Yeah. Um, under the eyes, especially, mm -hmm. and um, that uh, does something similar to what caffeine would do as far as vasoconstriction to reduce redness um, and puffiness because less blood flow you have to your face the less it's going to leak out and cause puffiness. But again, to his point, it's going to be temporary. Mm -hmm. um, and also you have to ask yourself, with a lot of the modalities that we do, sometimes we want blood flow to our face to, you know, get all the good stuff there. But regardless, it's all about what you're trying to accomplish. Okay. So I think we've got a good answer to that. There is maybe some benefit. Can I read a little blurb Transient? from this paper? Transient? No. Oh. <laughs> Jeez, give her a little power. No. <laughs> Transient in nature and certainly not the claims that are made that are associated with these products. But certainly not going to hurt anything and maybe some, some small benefit as well. Right, and there's probably nothing special regarding uh, being jade or being quartz or no. being stainless yeah, right. versus stainless steel versus being anything else. Or Could do it with those spoons in the freezer or, or that spoon. Thomas was speaking yeah. of. Thomas, I will, in fact, let you share your paper. <laughs> it's, Go ahead. It is technical in nature, but I think it Not proves surprised. the point because I think um, in this particular study, they, 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 they took uh, engineered human tissues and applied pressure to it, like I was talking about with the under the eyes. And basically what they say is that um, 
that they don't know. Basically, it's a little still a little bit up in the air. They don't really know what the role of tensional homeostasis, which is like keeping pressure, like mm-hmm. just natural, always having pressure on the tissue, what that uh, does for uh, you know the aging of skin. But in, they say in this current study, we demonstrate that the tensional homeostasis induced in this tissue um, significantly increased expression of ECM, extracellular mm-hmm. matrix, which is like collagen, elastin, hyaluronic acid, things of that nature, glycosaminous glycans, including collagen type 1 alpha, uh, one chain, fibrillin, elastin, and MMP1. Furthermore, tension homeostasis stimulated not only dermal fibroblast function, but also epidermal keratinocyte proliferation and differentiation, which is what we use retinoids a lot for, for that turnover of cells as well, and uh, cell acid and things of that nature, suggesting the presence of the epithelial mesenchymal interaction through this particular signal that they're talking about. Uh, uh, So basically, it's upregulating a lot of these genes that we pay lots of money to do, to upregulate. We use vitamin C because it upregulates collagen. We use retinoids because it turns over skin cells and uh, reduces pigment, these reduce pigmentation and such. So essentially by adding a little bit of stress to that skin, I would say you could possibly uh, get some of those benefits that you would get from expensive creams. Well, I may get that rose quartz roller out of the trash can then. And your finger. <laughs> Just use your finger. It it's the, free. Put it in the refrigerator. Except for I'll charge yes, you now because yes. this is my, my IP. So, okay. So I think We've, and I really do appreciate you going to the medical literature yeah, and trying sure to find <laughs> a scientific Again, justification sarcasm. to, the, um, to <clears throat> the jade and quartz rollers. So let's move on to the next um, topic. And, you know, this is taking a little bit uh, of a step further. And this is something that we know a little bit about in our industry. In fact, we've distributed a product at one point in our history that was utilized LED therapy. Mm-hmm. for um, a particular reason that we were using it for. Um, but LED therapy, whether that be red light, is probably the most common that we see in the market. Blue light, we do see advertised some other colors of light. And these therapies um, are, th- are these devices claim to remove wrinkles and fine lines, to remove dark circles and spots, to also depuff, to energize mm-hmm. the skin, to reduce inflammation, And in fact, um, in particular, blue LED light is said to be able to target and kill bacteria that cause inflammation and um, are in particular related to acne. So, and you know, I think we've also seen too, the red LED caps or brushes that have been, you're laughing. (laughs) <laughs> well, because you're just you're just talking about all this propaganda. You're just, so all of you know part that of have the been misinformation with hair um, no, no. hair restoration no, as no. well. So LED therapy thoughts. Yeah, Thomas, would you like to take? The I first have so step? many thoughts, but I'm oh, gonna, boy, Brian, I'm gonna let Brian, you go first. But I have so <laughs> many thoughts, and I do. I will take a lot of time, so I'll let you go first. Okay, um, I think there's some uh, benefit to certain wavelengths. And certain intensities and certain uh, duty cycles, essentially all that's important. So just an LED light that's blue may not necessarily be appropriate in seeing a benefit. There's a certain wavelength within that blue or near IR. Uh, we'll see, you'll see some benefits in certain conditions. So you mentioned blue light uh, for acne. There's been a number of papers on that uh, that have shown some benefit. It, very similar to what's seen with uh, sal acid. Um, so again, there's some data that, to support that, but again, it depends on, you just can't pick up, uh, any, you know, blue LED light, blue and, light and think um, that that's the same. And as that's going to be the same. 
uh, again in the intensity of the light. Uh, so it's not so you've got wavelength, you got intensity, and you have duty cycle. It all come into play as towards and duty cycle. Brian is, is how long they're they're lit. So for how like long they're lit. So how like long a, the cells are exposed right. to that light continuously. So it's, correct. It's a sequence. So let's say okay. for one second, um, you need a fifteen percent duty cycle. So a fifteenth of that second will be on on the light, and the other uh, eighty five um, of that cycle, you know, um, for uh, so again, uh, uh, forty five seconds would be off. Fifteen seconds would be on. Okay, so we'll see in our industry, we'll see like, let's say in a medical spa or even a spa or a physician's office, even um, dermatologists sometimes have the blue lights, but they're a panel um, and right. they're, they're exposing the cells continuously to that blue light. And I'm certain if it's in a dermatology practice that it's of a certain um, wavelength and um, and what was the other well, wavelength, intensity, intensity, so how, how bright it is, and then it's a panel, and then um, how often it, it cycles. Essentially, is it how much it's on and off within that uh, given period of time. So, but then you might see something sold directly to the consumer that might look something more like a wand and have a very small diameter where they're actually passing over the skin. It's not a continuous exposure of the cells to the blue light. Right. Would you anticipate that would work as well as something that was continuous? Probably not. I okay. mean, that, uh, and that's to be expected. Again, if it's passing over um, and just only getting brief areas as towards getting intensity, uh, and it may not be that intense as towards what's held in the hand versus what's found in a, a, a doctor's office. Um, so again, I think there's um, some things that may work and even in some areas, even the professional models may work versus not working at all in certain conditions. So again, I'd say for things like acne, um, yes. Um, for things Blue light in particular. Blue light. Um, I haven't seen a whole lot that, that's shown as, I know the red, you mentioned the fact that caps and, and the like is sort of seeing benefits there. Um, I think that's still probably questionable. Um, I think that, uh, you know, when you're talking about um, some of the things um, like um, what about red so, LED and inflammation, Brian? There, there actually, I think there are some papers to talk, quite a bit of papers to talk about that. That reduction of inflammation, erythema, um, things like uh, um, psoriasis. There's uh, some papers that talk about benefits there. It's um, mostly blue light for psoriasis, though, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. um, and then talking about uh, things like um, uh, you know herpes or cold sores. It's, there seems to be some benefits there towards reduction or turnover and regarding or our reduction of uh, uh, cold sores. So, um, but things and, like- and how, let's talk about a little bit about how <clears throat> the red LED in particular, how does just putting red light on the skin for a certain amount of time be able to affect inflammation and, and some of the other things that you talked about, Brian? Well, again, we, we talked about a sort of cellular, uh, you know, expression of different types of genes and, and the like and uh, uh, um, cell factors. And uh, again, based on that, uh, um, they can change their output uh, as towards, instead of being an inflammatory uh, stimulus, they, they get stimuli or they get re reduction of that stimulus through uh, the interaction with the wavelengths. So that red LED or blue LED, well, red LED in particular, is actually affecting the gene expression. In some cases, now again, the blue light is towards with acne is different. Mm -hmm. Is towards going with uh, the porphyrins that are found within um, and reacting with the porphyrins. Um, but again, some of the others is, is cellular uh, activity. 
Yeah, I think we need to back up and do one at a time because, yeah. okay. Gets uh, a little confusing for instance, going back poor and forth, friends, yeah. that whole story needs to be kind of teased apart a little bit for people to understand really what that is. But the red light thing, there's a, actually a deeper story. And we, we do need to be careful because red, when you look at elect, the electromagnetic spectrum and the spectrum of light and such, it's a, it's a broad spectrum and reds have a, quite a, a broad spectrum as so does blues and violets. And so, for instance, there's a difference. So the like ultraviolet, and there's a line between where you're ultraviolet, where you have like um, um, ionizing radiation, mm -hmm. versus the color purple, right, or mm -hmm. color blue. And so uh, then there's the red, and then there's a line between the color of red and infrared or near infrared. And so the the real kind of uh, purpose I'm making this distinction is because the specific wavelength, and Brian did allude to this, or, or even said it, is very important in whether or not it's gonna make a difference. And the reason is because just like with a laser that you're trying to either remove a tattoo or get rid of your hair, mm -hmm. the light has to find what's called a chromophore. So there's something that is going to react or absorb or some, something's gonna happen with specific wavelengths. A, a reaction is gonna happen. At a certain, in a certain a level of the skin, right? Right, right. Yeah. And so, um, you know, anybody uh, that does like, um, and uh, there's a certain set of experiments that I don't wanna get into because you'll get mad at me for being too technical, <laughs> but um, you, you basically use what's called a, um, um, I'm drawing a blank, a, a photo, um, a UV spec, a spectrophotometer. Mm -hmm. And so basically it allows you to take any substance and put it into a little glass vial, run some certain wavelengths of light to it and see what gets absorbed and what doesn't and such. And you can actually see a wave um, that shows you what are the wavelengths that are the peak wavelengths that either absorb or reflect or whatever there. And it tells you a lot about the property of any given um, molecule. And so in our bodies, in every cell of our bodies, uh, we have um, a whole ton of molecules that get excited at certain places. Mm -hmm. And there's a phenomena called photolysis or photolysis. <laughs> photolysis. <laughs> I don't know if it's pronounced one way or the other, but it, it's exactly what it sounds like, which is that light induces some sort of breakage of a bond of something that allows uh, something to, to free a certain molecule. And, um, you know... Uh, Jose, Dr. Maldonado, actually in the back there, because um, I want to, uh, you know, he's falling asleep. I want to make sure yeah, that he's paying let's attention. Wake him let's um, get but him to work. Uh, Dr. Maldonado, Jose, uh, you know, you mentioned um, when we talked about the red light before, you mentioned that uh, it affects what in our bodies, and and then it's similar to what. Yeah, so when we were talking, we were talking about the mitochondria that we find in ourselves. You know, the mitochondria, you probably remember the powerhouse, probably everybody uh, remembers it for. Mm -hmm. And it produces this molecule called ATP, which is really beneficial for uh, and that molecule is used throughout the body. So it needs to be, our mitochondria needs to produce a lot of it. It needs to be as, it needs to do it efficiently. So that molecule can be distributed across the body so the body can carry out its functions. Okay, it, but you said it was like something else oh, okay. in nature. So, I mean, when people are asking me this, I'm like, how does a light affect us? I'm like, well, just remember, there's plants out there. Plants can take energy from the sun, light energy, and convert that into chemical energy to their food. Right. And so now I want to make clear that I don't believe that we do 
um, photosynthesis. photosynthesis. <laughs> and but in a sense, it's an analogy. In yeah. a sense, there is some because the thing is when you look at the um, uh, mitochondria in human cells and the chloroplasts, which are the green, uh, yeah. what makes plants green uh, in plants, that actually are what does photosynthesis. Um, they're actually very similar in the in the way that they work. Uh, in the way that some yeah. of their structure as well, but yeah, so it's still the photoabsorption that occurs, right. just like photosynthesis is towards producing in plants, is towards energy. I mean, you're still getting photoabsorption in these different uh, molecules within the, within the cells. Right, and so you know, without getting into major detail, because when you uh, take a class like biochemistry, you you have to memorize like the Krebs, what's called the Krebs cycle, and there's other uh, ways in which the body produces energy, and there's it's a very um, a very laborious thing to do because there's a lot of different steps that a little enzymes uh, 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 that turn into you know a different molecule and then something else comes in and makes another molecule and the goal is to make what uh, Jose uh, uh, talked about which is a ATP and also NAD or uh, NAD mm -hmm. and so these molecules then are either what's called oxidized or reduced and so that's a fancy way of saying that they're they're used they're spent or not so they're like batteries in the sense that these uh, NAD molecules then can be uh, reduced to NADH, and then they can be oxidized to NAD, and you know plus. And so, am I am I yeah, saying it right? right? Okay. Yeah, and NAD so NAD I always NAD. want to look at Brian because sometimes I say the backwards thing, and he always lets me know. Yeah. But uh, th th this is important to know. I know it's a little technical, but it's important to know because the reason why these red lights work, uh, and it's still kind of up in the air. There's still a lot to yet to be known, but it's thought that um, the mitochondria, which uh, we were talking, which Jose was talking about. There's certain um, proteins on there called cytochromes. And these cytochromes actually are essential for the cycles that make these molecules that produce energy for us. But in like we said, when, they're, when these, when these um, cytochromes are either oxidized or reduced, the same as those other molecules, they can either produce more of those molecules or not produce them. Mm -hmm. And so it's thought that uh, there's certain molecules that these cytochromes in their reduced state will actually hold on to. And the, uh, the red light at these intense wavelengths, now we know that it happens with ultraviolet wavelengths. So mm -hmm. ultraviolet wavelengths will actually cause these cytochrome molecules to, or proteins to, re, to re, uh, release a substance called nitri nitric oxide. So I don't know if we've talked about nitric oxide no, before. Okay, so nitric oxide is a super interesting molecule. It's something that somebody won the Nobel Prize for mm -hmm. uh, discovering because it is one of those things that uh, it's, it's two molecules and uh, it basically is a very small molecule, it, but it's, it's an essential one for the body to function. It does vasodilation but it's also used, so basically uh, in small amounts, allows our body to constrict its blood vessels. And so that's one of the reasons that we think it's actually useful for um, anti-aging. We'll talk about that in a second. But also in large amounts, it's used by our immune system to kill bacteria. And so, um, but I actually did my dissertation on what nitric oxide does on human genetics in large amounts, and it's actually a mutagen, a pretty powerful mutagen. Mm -hmm. And so it's the body produces it, but it has to, it's in it's in it's in a delicate balance, just like most things. And that's why when we talk about slathering growth factors and stuff, you you wonder, should you really be doing that? Because the body produces things like nitric oxide in small amounts for a reason, 
Um, and so we have to really think through why we put certain things on the body in, in large amounts. Now, that being said, nitric oxide is produced by enzymes uh, uh, that we norm we have three enzymes in our body that produce nitric oxide when it's called for. We won't get into all that either. I actually make people that I used to make people that applied for positions, Brian was one of them, uh, give talks on nitric oxide yeah. uh, because it's something that um, not a lot of people are experts on, but it gives me an ability to see how they react to subject matter that they may uh, need to learn about and that I know about. And Brian must have done well. He did do well. and um, so, <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, you know, the nitric oxide is made by those in small amounts, but there's also a lot of molecules throughout our body and a lot of them in our skin that um, actually, when they're photolyzed, so when we are when certain UV rays hit us, it releases the nitric oxide, and it's part of what happens when we go into the sun, um, and it's part of our body's defense mechanism as well. But the problem is, all the benefits that we get from nitric oxide in the small quantities in our skin, which are, which are very, uh, they're, they're great because I'm sorry, I said vaginal constriction, didn't I? It's vasodilation. Yeah, it's vasodilation. So I, um, I'm glad that I. That out. No, we can keep <laughs> it kidding. in. I, you know, the thing is, it is vasodilation, and that's one of the reasons why. Like for instance, it's great because for instance, for hair, you talked about using the red light on the hair. That's one of the reasons why it would be beneficial, because it would v dilate the blood vessels, bring blood flow and bring into blood the flow, follicles, which that is one of the things that DHT does against us. It constricts those. Constricts. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, it's actually legitimate that if this is indeed what's happening, because th what they found is they know UV does it, but they're also thinking that near-infrared and infrared mm -hmm. actually does the same thing, and it actually causes the release of the skin store of this nitric oxide without having to go through the enzymatic process of creating it. Okay. And so it then is yeah. going to have some benefit. So right, it, and that goes along with also the antiviral uh, possibilities. It starts mm -hmm. in the fact there was just a paper that came out uh, this week talking about... Because it brings uh, immunity to the... Correct. Well, it actually, yeah. Uh, is, is antiviral, so they're talking about not only the fact of topically playing uh, towards uh, for um, different diseases that are viral towards on the skin, um, but also we talked about earlier that uh, may be beneficial for um, for herpes, uh, cold sores, and so uh, at least it's shown in the literature, and that may be through nitric oxide. Right, because it's bringing more blood flow, that, more immune cells yeah. to that site, and uh, and allowing it to clear the infection more readily. And so, going back to the what? Oh, one last point on that is that, um, in particular, through several studies, um, they've shown that it's not the total dose of the of the light. So, sitting under it, if it's not the right intensity, which Brian said, brightness, which is is correct, but it's we call it like fluency because it's like delivery of joules of energy, yeah. which in light sources can be brightness. But if it's infrared, it wouldn't. Yeah. be visible so it wouldn't you wouldn't call it brightness okay um uh, and also with uv you don't see it so you wouldn't call it, you'd call it fluency because it's the amount of energy that's being uh produced but that is more important than how long it's it's so the intensity is more important than the length of the dose depending on what you're attempting to accomplish right because those lights whether i mean you know i hadn't really kind of put that together but uv obviously affects cells yeah, we don't in want the to body. Under that, yeah. yeah, and then infrared or near-infrared, which is what LED therapy is util utilizing, correct? Red, uh, yeah, red LED. Red mm -hmm. LED, and then you've got lasers as well. All of those are different levels of light 
energy and wavelength that's and correct. intensity that's correct. to address certain things that's in correct, the body. That's correct, but I'm talking about when if it's going to release nitric oxide. And nitric it, oxide it, in it, particular. It needs a specific intensity. Now, you could do more like with a laser, but the thing is that's not going to release nitric oxide necessarily. It's just going to ablate the tissue. But in general... But in general, red LED therapy. So I guess what I'm trying to say is you could take a really weak uh, light of the wavelength and stick it on you for countless hours and it may not do anything right. for do you. Anything. Yeah. So that's why when you buy it from Amazon or something, it may have an accurate wavelength, but if it's not powerful enough, it's, it may not do anything for you. Okay. And that's where you really need to be careful. We're not saying that this is a gimmick. We're saying that we're still trying to figure out what how it works and and the utility that to best use it but what we do know is that if you do buy into it to make sure that the product that you're using allows for you to really get any potential benefit by mm -hmm. making sure it's powerful enough mm -hmm. and that's usually through a physician's office right. unfortunately yeah. although there are some stuff on there are some items on the market that claim to to be able to do this and that's really on the onus of the company to prove that so again, we can say that LED therapy, whether it's red light or blue light for different indications, may have some effect on the skin based on what we just talked about. Mm -hmm. um, there are some things you would want to be aware of before you would invest in these um, devices or procedures mm -hmm. um, and may not necessarily be all of the claims that you see attached to some of these procedures or to these devices as well. Again, because some devices just simply don't have the wavelength or intensity the power, or the right. power mm -hmm, to be yeah. able to affect that level of change. Mm -hmm. Your best bet would be to go into a physician's office if you're interested in LED therapy, red or blue, and have a discussion with them about what device they use for that. And I would agree with that, that, but I would also say that, thank you, I would, I would agree with that, but I would also say that, you know, we, the physicians that are listening should make sure that they too understand how these devices work so that they don't end up buying into a device and spending a lot of money on a device that may not help their patients. Um, it's, it's pretty easy to test, uh, you know, because the ones they are clear through the FDA, um, and they're, they're supposed to be if they make any of these indications, like for wrinkles or hair loss or anything like that. Yeah, or acne. Or, or acne. And so they, they have to basically prove to the FDA that their fluence is high enough. And so you can check that literature. So don't save money by getting something that's not cleared because then you can't validate it. Mm -hmm. um, that's the, that's the part that that's why companies spend the money to go through that process. Not only because it's the right thing to do, but also because it gives the physician the ability to look and make sure the that confidence. they're, yeah. but with the blue lights really quickly with the porphyrins, I do want to make the, the caveat here that Brian quickly talked about porphyrins and for the people who don't know what that means, I want to really quickly explain that certain bacteria on the face that we all probably have heard of, formerly as P. acnes, uh, now they're called C. acnes, um, they can produce porphyrins. Uh, porphyrins is a type of molecule that is light sensitive, and when you put certain wavelengths of light against it, it actually causes a free radical production. And that is not great for our cells, but it's also not great for the bacterial cells. And so um, we know that the bad forms of C. acnes, because uh, we also know there are really great forms of C. acnes that you absolutely need and want, um, and we can talk about that on another episode, but um, oh, we think we already I have, think we may have already. Uh, multiple Several times. times. <laughs> uh, but uh, the, the, the times ones more. that are associated with things like acne, um, they actually produce the most porphyrins. And so it's if you use a blue light that actually causes that f those free radicals from the porphyrins, you're more likely to eradicate a lot of the ones that are in the vicinity, which are the ones that produce them. Um, but you have to be careful because you're also going to cause free radical damage to your own cells. 
So that's just a, a warning as far as the, uh, the blue light and making sure that you also walk into that knowing kind of what you're doing as well. Okay. Yeah, and the dermatologists I talked to about utilizing the blue light in their offices, they use it kind of as a supplement. Uh, they, right. And it, it also comforts the patient that uh, they know that they're getting another treatment to help improve it. Uh, I, I don't think that any of them would agree that it's a standalone. Standalone. Right. As yeah. I would suggest the same with the red LED for hair sure. restoration. Sure. It's typically um, physicians who are in the hair restoration market, they're using many different modalities right. mm -hmm. to affect hair restoration at, in different ways at different levels. Yeah. And that may just be one little thing that they add to it for. Right. Seems to be know. a common theme about what we talk about is that there's not very many times in aesthetics or in dermatology where you can just throw one thing a at something. A silver bullet, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's just it's because biology is complicated. Yep. Um, you know, and we, we're getting near to the end, but, you know, I just want to ask one last question as we wrap up, and we'll keep this uh. one very brief, gentlemen. <laughs> but I love this topic. That's um, a good topic. And that just goes back to the, the good old beauty sleep, you know, and... Is there, in fact, you know, and, and what we know is it, it, it goes really back to, we, we were, the, the, the average person refers to it as beauty sleep, mm -hmm. but we know it's actually tied to circadian rhythms. So, mm -hmm. you know, just a brief explanation from a scientist's perspective on um, circadian rhythms and how um, making sure that we're getting our beauty sleep, as we would call it, is, um, is affecting the aging process. Or, mm -hmm. is it, or is it not? All right. I say two minutes each. You go first. Okay, I've got the clock started. I think there's some papers. I think even Howard Maybach did some work on that, looking at circadian rhythms and looking at barrier function. And I guess I think there was some improvements in barrier function when skin barrier function, skin barrier function, um, and lessening barrier or having worse barrier uh, when you got less sleep. So again, I think there is some benefits to that. Um, I know there's a number of companies that talk about that as far as why they have a morning and night type products to match the circadian rhythms of individuals. Um, so I think there's some data out there that, that supports that. Um, I don't know if it makes a huge difference as towards being either old or young in regarding um, trying to match it up or optimize that. But, but certainly it's the case in which, um, you know, just overall health, it's good to have. Uh, again, unless we've talked about before, so Elon Musk, as far as I think, only sleeps three hours a day or something like that. Um, <laughs> you're probably going to be wanting to have your, you know, seven or eight hours of sleep uh, for the best benefit. Is it time? He's a is lizard it quality? Person. Is it, um, you know, I've heard it said that you need to be asleep between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. because that's when your body does the most restoration. I've heard that from my Pilates instructor <laughs> um, who also practices holistic medicine. But, you know, is there some truth to that? Is it time, the time of the day that you're sleeping? Is it the duration um, or is it just the well, quality? Are you getting into a deep enough I, I sleep? think there's some more complication to that as towards sleep and, and because your, your body temperature changes as towards when you sleep as well. So I think that may have an effect regarding enzyme activity or, or biological activity as towards as your temperature changes within your body. Um, so I think it may be more than just between 10 and 2. That I, um, but I don't know enough detail to say it needs to be you know, 11.45 to 3 a.m. or something like that. But mm -hmm. I, again, I, you know, there are differences in regarding... Um, activities within the body over a, a given sleep cycle um, and optimal times as far as for benefit towards skin versus digestion or mental health or whatever the case may be. Okay. Well, he actually just touched on a very important point and that was over two minutes, so I get over two minutes okay. too. Okay. Um, so um, when, you, when you think about sleep, you, you hit the nail on the head with circadian rhythm. And so I don't think uh, everybody knows what that is, but really briefly, 
um, our body every 24 hours goes through certain cycles and there's different things that uh, are cyclical. One of them, for instance, is blood pressure. And so, for instance, our blood pressure spikes um, when we wake up and ambulate in the morning, which means rise when we get up on our feet. And so, for instance, a lot of people will take their blood pressure medication at night um, because they'll know that it'll be active by the time morning comes around. Because the morning, when you first wake up, that's the number one time people have heart attacks mm -hmm. because your blood pressure spikes when you, when you get up. And so there's a lot of things that happen on a circadian rhythm, and it's why when you, you just got back from Barcelona and you felt it, mm -hmm. you felt that your body was used to sleeping and waking up at a certain point, and it didn't like the fact that you were causing it not to. And p part of what actually drives it is... Oh, boy, here we go. The, the microbiome. microbiome. <laughs> so, it I mean... always finds a way. Well, the thing is, there's a reason I always yeah. find a way, because it's, we're so linked together with yeah. our microbes. And one of the things that you touched on was the diet, the times that we eat. Mm -hmm. That's very important, and that's why, you know, they say not to, like, do midnight stacks and not to eat. At, it's not just because you gain weight and all that stuff or metabolize it differently. It's because when you eat things your gut microbes actually are secreting certain molecules and some of those are neurotransmitters or things that affect neurotransmitters. And so there are certain things that are produced by the gut and not just the gut, but the skin as well. Um, and one of them is short chain fatty acids. It's one of the things that's found very prevalently on the skin. One of them is propionic acid and there's like butyric acid and there's other short chain fatty acids that actually can have a huge impact on the, on the secretion of things like neurotransmitters. And so those, the, the, the production of short-chain fatty acids are a lot of times made by your microbes. And those microbes are gonna take cues from when you eat, when you shower, when you do certain things, when you exercise, and all that stuff feeds into the rhythm that your body functions because it's used to functioning a certain way. So you do something, your gut gets, your, your microbes get a certain stimulus, they do something which in turn makes you wanna do something, and it's a cycle and it contributes to the circadian rhythm. Additionally, you have the light that also contributes to your circadian rhythm. It's why a lot of times, uh, if you have a window, you'll wake up when the sun comes up mm -hmm. and you'll wake up earlier in, the, in certain times of the year than other times of the year, or you'll fall asleep better when the lights are out and such. Uh, and so people that live in areas where it's always bright for like months at a time, mm -hmm. where the they go a little nuts because their circadian rhythm doesn't have a versa. chance to establish right? itself. Yeah. yeah. And so this is where I'd say you're right. It's the rhythm of sleep. I think that's more important. So there's, a, I'm not a sleep expert. Is everybody's by means, um, rhythm the same or people, for instance, people who work a so. graveyard shift. So they work the night oh, shift. Oh, no, no, no. Not everybody's so, is the same. So no. they could have, they could have a rhythm just like everybody else. It's simply their rhythm is different. And as long as they right. maintain that rhythm, right. then and things are going to operate Right. And you measured Elon Musk or? Who measured him? Oh, I somebody. Whoever right. mentioned him. So he's a yeah. lizard person. So he's separate. He's separate than all this. But you know, the thing is, uh, not everybody has the same uh, um, patterns. So during our sleep, and I'm not a sleep expert. That's my disclaimer. But I do know that you can buy little trinkets. Like there's one called an aura yeah. ring, and it, what it'll do is it'll measure your pattern of sleep, and it's a full pattern. So you have multiple patterns throughout the night. And I think it's like two or three and a half hours for some people. It's three hours for some people, and it, it's about fulfilling a cycle and not entering into another cycle because that's what gets you that your beauty sleep okay and you feel rested and so for sometimes with my cycle i i opt to wake up an hour plus early because i know i'll be more groggy and more hard to get going if i try to get an extra hour of sleep because i'll be in mid-cycle 
And so it's understanding, and it's that's where understanding you, your cycles. Mm -hmm. And then just making you can't get away with just one cycle. You have to have multiple cycles because your body does need to recover. But there, knowing your body and what your body requires, you can find that information out if you invest a little bit. So, so there may be something. Bottom line, there may be something too. There is something to beauty sleep, but it has to do with circadian rhythms. So if you wanted to take advantage of really maximizing that opportunity, you would have to understand your rhythms mm -hmm. and maintain your rhythms. Right, mm -hmm. and just getting sleep in general is very important. And getting sleep getting in general. Proper rest. I have actually worked with a sleep expert and um, and one of the things that she shared with me was the, the value of a power nap, but only a power nap, 20 minutes, mm -hmm. not long naps in the afternoon because yeah. that does throw that's off true. your circadian rhythms. And it also makes you more tired. So. Yeah, so I think that's a good place to stop because right. I've, I've grown a little tired myself. So, okay. um, so but anyway. I'll turn it back over to you, All right, Thomas. So I'll power, hand you back the keys. To I the, have the power. Nobody that's my age is going to, or uh, younger than me, is going to know that. But anyway, we uh, thank you for your eyes and ears. We hope you learned something today. Um, if you want to find more information or uh, give us a shout out as far as what you'd like to hear about, you can find us on uh, the web's Crown's website at crownlaboratories.com, or you can uh, speak directly to me at my socials at. Uh, Dr.T.Hitchcock. That's dr.t.hitchcock. Uh, and that's mainly Instagram uh, uh, there. Um, but we appreciated uh, our discussion today and we hope to see you back next time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.